has been doing so many great things here at our church, and uh, let me give you a quick example. This last Wednesday night um, in our student ministry in Fuse, um, we had six students ask Jesus to come into life for the first time um, this last week, and so, yeah, that's something we can be excited about. Um, and if you have a student and they're, they're not in a part of our student ministry, they are, they're missing out on things like that. They're missing out on being able to see their friends come to know Jesus uh, and their life being impacted. Um, and we're just so thankful for all the things that God has been doing here in our church. And next Sunday, we, we put aside a Sunday every year, celebrate grace and, and celebrating all that God is doing in our church. And so if you know someone that they're maybe haven't been here at church and recently, and they, but they call Grace their church home for whatever reason, maybe they had vacations, their summer's been busy, but, or they've just been just MIA. It's time that we want everybody to invite someone that they maybe haven't seen them in church in a while, invite them to come next Sunday to celebrate with us and enjoy some free chicken. And that's my favorite, one of my favorite parts about it. You get to come in and as soon as you pull into church, you're just smelling chicken cooking. It's just, it's a good Sunday. Um, but it's a great, we're so glad you guys decided to join us for this as we continue in our series, Blueprint. It's talking about God's plan for our church. And in this series, Paul's writing this letter where walking through First Timothy, as Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, a young pastor in the church of Ephesus, and, and Paul's challenging him and, and writing as big picture, the, the whole First Timothy, the whole point of it is writing big picture, what is, what's a church supposed to look like, what, how should the church function, what are the roles inside the church, but in this little passage that we're going to deal with this morning, um, it, Paul switches his gears a little bit, and he starts talking to Timothy personally, instead of big picture, he starts diving in and challenging Timothy personally and how he's living his life and what in ways things he should be doing in his life. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 and it says this. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of all those who believe. And I, in this time frame, I got to understand that uh, it was age with age it came Respect and authority came with age, and it came with uh, a little more life experience. And I think that's something in our world, in our culture today, we could, we could learn a little bit. We, we emphasize in our culture today youth. And what I mean by that is that we're always talking, how can we stay young? How can we look younger? How can we be younger? It's all about young, being, trying to stay young. But in this time frame, the emphasis was on age. Respect and authority came with age. And Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's young, relatively young. He's in his mid-30s. And so Paul's challenging Timothy, someone that maybe he's dealing with in the church of Ephesus, a little struggling to have respect and struggling to have authority. And so Paul's challenging Timothy here in, in, in verse 12, that don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but prove yourself an example in five ways of speech, conduct, faith, love, and purity. The greatest example of a leader, the greatest tool of leadership is the power of an exemplary life, and that's in the church as leaders in the church, but that's also in leadership, just a great leadership trait outside the church. That one of the greatest ways you can impact people is by being an example. 
As Christians, one of the greatest ways we can impact our world is by being an example of a godly lifestyle. See, anyone, we can earn respect and authority by proving ourselves an example through time. Paul starts out and he starts um, out with talking about our, how we talk, how, what are, what's the ways we talk and how we talk. And I think this is so important because you look at what Jesus says in Matthew um, 12, and it says this in 34 through 37, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out that which fills the heart. And the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Can it get any clearer than that? What Jesus is saying in this passage, he's saying, what you spend time talking about in your, in your life that's what fills your heart. That's, that's what is filling it. And I, and I think about my life and, and I want people to, when they're looking at my life, I, I want them to see my heart is filled with Jesus. I, my, that's my hope is that when they're looking at me and the way I live my life, I, I hope that they can, they can see a, a tr me trying to model for them a righteous living, trying to model for them Jesus. But then I start looking at this passage and I, and I start questioning myself and asking the questions, looking through my life and how conversations that I'm having with people. So often I, I start feeling guilty because I realize so often my conversations, they probably are just meaningless. And I even think when I come into church and I think of, I, I interact with people, I interact with students every week, how often, maybe I, I should be asking this question more often, but how often it, it doesn't get asked. The question of, how are you doing spiritually? How are we doing? It's like if I go walking through the hallways of our church, I hope that every once in a while I'll ask some people, hey, how are you doing spiritually? But there's Sundays that I, I never even bring up a conversation spiritually with someone. And that makes me feel a little guilty. Because I, I, I want people to understand. I want people, I, want, I hope I'm in through my conversations and what I'm talking about, it's pointing them that they need a savior that, that Jesus is, needs to be everything to them. Paul, he's not just talking about what we talk about. He's also talking how we talk. Is our conversations on how we're talking, how we're communicating, how it's coming across, is it honoring to Christ? Is it glorifying to him? Paul, in Ephesians 4.29, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear it. The way as the church that we should be talking is to build people up, not tear them apart. And I, ask, I think about myself, if, and my conversations with people, are they to build them up or the way I'm communicating, even when I'm telling truth or calling sin, sin, 
in someone's life? Is it because I'm really in my heart wanting to tear them apart? I'm enjoying that? Or is it ultimately that I want to build them up? I want to point them to Jesus that they, they come to a point, if they don't know him, that they come to a point and asking him to come into their life. Or if they're, they're a believer, it's the iron sharp, sharpens iron scenario where I'm challenging them that they need to grow. But in that, it, is it to build them up or is it to tear them all down? I think as Christians, we should always be trying to speak with patience with people. I think we always should be speaking and speaking with grace to people. I think we should always be speaking with love with people. Because I think if we don't, if we, and, and I think at times we could probably have a tendency every once in a while not to be very careful in how we're talking to other people. Even inside the church, which is so important that we stay, remain unified. That's one reason it's important when we're communicating to one another. It should be always to build each other up. But even when we make mistakes of maybe we weren't very careful in the words that we used, we get it, though, in the church that we understand forgiveness. Ultimately, we should because we all, we've, been, we've seen the greatest example of forgiveness through Jesus. So we should, be, we should be easily be able to forgive someone even when they might have offended us the way they communicated to us. But what my biggest fear is here is that outside the church, those that have not seen Christ's forgiveness yet in their life and the way if we're communicating not being very careful in the way we communicate to them it could be something that pushes them away from ever wanting to hear truth for their life and I, and I think it's it, it, we, we they hear us say man I, well, there's so much more in the life with Jesus there's so much more in life with Jesus but then the way we communicate, it might be always to tear, them, tear people apart or we're always talking badly about people. It leads them to just believe maybe Christianity, the church, is just filled with a bunch of misinformed, maybe misguided, maybe brainwasher. Maybe they're just filled with a bunch of liars. All which, I believe, push people away from ever wanting to do with anything with Jesus. I think if we're not careful in the way we speak, we can ultimately push them away from ever wanting to hear the truth, the truth that Jesus died for them, the truth that the only way to heaven is through him and by having a relationship with him. So I think in every conversation that we have, we should be asking ourselves the simple question of, is what I'm talking about and how I'm talking, how it's being communicated and taken is this pointing them closer to Jesus? See, Paul, he wasn't just talking about, actually, I'm going to tell you a story. Paul, there, there's a, I was recently on a trip uh, with a bunch of students, and I, and I saw this lived out um, through just middle school girls. And there's this girl that was on the trip, and uh, she, through conversation with her, I could tell that she didn't know Jesus. She didn't have a relationship with them, and, and so we just started talking you know, every once in a while and um, throughout the week, and 
the last day specifically, it came, we, we started having a actually really serious conversation and um, just about things going on. And so we, in our conversation, we started, uh, one of the things that came up is that all of her friends at home, it, it seemed like they, they were always picking on her. And I, I sat there and I challenged her. And I said, well, that doesn't sound like very good friends then. And, and she looked at me and, 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 I, and then I actually, then I asked her, um, have any of the girls this week, they pick on you? And she said, no. And I'm like, well, that sounds like these are a good group of friends then. This is the people you should be hanging out with. And, and, uh, and then she looked at me and she said, well, I don't deserve to be friends with them. And I, I, that, that part started like getting me. It started hurting, like kind of hurting my heart a little bit. And, and so you're just like sitting there and you're having this conversation with this girl and, and, and she's just struggling in life. And, and then after, after that, where I'm like, you don't deserve to be friends with them. And I'm trying to ask, figure out what's going on here. And, and I, well, I'm like, well, these girls, they, they want to be your friends. This is evident of that. They, this whole week, they've been trying to they include you in things, which I was, I'm, I'm really happy that they were. They were trying to include her into things, and they were wanting to be around her. But ultimately, the conversation, it, it kind of ended with this, um, and it led into this other, whole other conversation, but she asked this question eventually of, what, does, what do they have that I'm missing out on? What do they have that I don't have? And, and it was, a, again, it was a, a phrase that kind of sticks with me. And, and I, I start thinking through that phrase of what do they have that I don't have? And isn't that what the church should be? Isn't that what the church, we're called as the church to be the followers of Jesus. We're called to be the light of the world. We're tr- called to follow his example. But in that, the world should be looking at the church and be asking the simple question of what does the church have that I'm missing out on? What is the thing that the church has that I'm missing out on in life? And I, and I, and I think through that, and I, Paul, I think he's not just challenging the way we talk, but I think he's also challenging us in the way we walk and go through life. Paul, after he says speech, he goes and lists four of the things of conduct, love, faith, and purity. Conduct is the way we should be modeling righteous living to those outside the church and even those inside. Love, it's what we talked about the first week of the series. It's, it's, not, it's a love that's different than what the world defines as love. It, love, the world defines it as a feeling and an emotion. But this love that Paul's talking about, it's having a devotion to serving others. It's, it's looking to others above yourself. It's a self-sacrificial, self-denial kind of love. And then faith, it's an unswerving commitment to our belief in Jesus. And I, I find it ironic that Paul, he connects faith to this youthfulness term here in this verse because I, you look at youth and you watch them and they're not very committed to things all the time. And, and this, those are things that people who are older look at them and go, you can't stay committed to anything. And that's where Paul is saying, this is where if, as young, as you are young, you should be committed to your faith because they, people cannot look down upon you then at, because you are so committed to your faith. No matter what comes into your life, you are going to remain faithful to Jesus and your belief in him. 
So often in our student ministry, as you watch students who don't take their faith very serious, you watch them go through six and all the way up into high school, and they graduate, and, and every once in a while, maybe they came to church, but they were never that fully committed to it. And then as uh, they, they go into college, and as college, like many of us know, the world throws everything they have at them. And what happens is they can't stand on, with their faith. They, they, their faith is being tested, and they fall down. They, give, they walk away from their faith. A lot of times I also think that because a student, they're not taking their faith that serious, I think it's also, it reflects maybe sometimes, not always, but I think sometimes it reflects home. The parents are this biggest spiritual influence in your child's life, not the church, it's you as a parent. You're the biggest spiritual influence in your child's life. And if your church to you is an option, is not a, not a priority, it's going to reflect in your child's life and how they live. And it is even goes, goes further, if you are always the, their child, you're never letting your child take a hold of their own faith, all of a sudden, their faith that's always built on you, rather than built on Jesus, when they enter college and they don't have you to fall back on, their faith is all of a sudden falling apart. I believe our faith, that we need to have our faith be filled and strong on Jesus. So no matter what happens in our life, no matter what tests come into our life, no matter what the world throws at the church, we are staying committed to our belief in Jesus and what he has done for us. Paul finally lists off purity. It's the clear heart. It's having the right intentions behind our motives and actions. It's the question of if, you, or if you're going to serving someone and loving someone, which is great, but what is your motives behind that? Is it to build yourself up or is it to love others and to point them closer to Jesus? Paul is that telling all of us that in the way we walk and talk, it should point people closer to Jesus. It should model to them Jesus. Paul then, after verse 12, he goes on and he starts telling Paul, this is how you should walk and talk, but now this is what we, you should be doing. In verse 13, it says, until I come, Paul probably wanting to eventually come back and visit the church in Ephesus, he says, give attention to the public reading of scripture and to the exhortation and teaching. This is gathering together, hearing scripture being taught, isn't that what the church is supposed to be? And I think this is a, one of the, maybe the simplest definition of church. The public gathering, public, did you catch the, where it said public? So often I think the church every once in a while, we get in our, mind, in our mindset that the church is about us. The church is supposed to be a public gathering, public, meaning, hey, the world, come in, hear what God's word has to say for your life. And then he says, exhort it, and then teach it, exhort it, preach it, take what you're reading and, and put it in, in, in terminology that the, the, the public can understand, the, the, that people can understand and take and put it in their life, teach it to make sure what we're preaching is true and accurate. 
This is what we do here at Grace every Sunday, and this is why we do it every Sunday. This is why our church looks in the way it does, because we want the world to come in, and we want them to hear what God's Word says for their life. It's reading Scripture and clarifying truth. Paul, ultimately, I think what he's saying is what, what we need to be doing, what Timothy needed to be doing is doing church. We need to make it a priority in our lives, in our families' lives. And especially if we're, we're saying our life has been radically changed by Jesus, the church is his idea. We need to be doing it. We need to be a part of it. He continues and he says in verse 14, do not neglect, don't be lazy or, or don't be distracted by the business, busyness of life. Timothy, that you this, of, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which is bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with laying of hands by the presbytery. The presbytery, it's what we've been talking the last several weeks in the series about. It's the elders and pastors. But what is happening in this verse is so often people try to over-spiritualize this verse. They try to think when it says laying of hands, it's something magical or mystical, but that's not what's happening. See, the, the, the presbytery, the elders and pastors, what's happening in this verse is Paul is reminding Timothy that before he went on to lead, become a pastor in the church of Ephesus, he's saying, hey, remember, do not neglect the spiritual gifts within you of teaching, preaching, of, of, of being a leadership, Timothy. Go on and, and use those things. Remember that the, the Pastors and elders came in front of you and they prayed for you as you were going on to do the work of God, to go on and become this pastor in Ephesus. Again, it's not something that's magical or mystical. This is something where they're gathering to him and encouraging Timothy. And as like Timothy has been given a gift from God, Gifts from God, we've been given gifts from, from God as well, and we're called to use those things, not to neglect them. Not to be distracted by the busyness of life where we're not using our gifts that God has given us to glorify Him. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I don't really know where, maybe what God has gifted me in, and well, that's where our next step classes come in to play here at Grace. We have a class called the Serve Class, and, and that class is designed to help you identify the areas in your life that God has gifted you in, and then show you areas in our church that you can get involved in and, and get plugged in and use those gifts to help impact our, our community and our world. A lot of, and it's not going to be easy, like Paul's saying in Verse 15, it says, take pain with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear. Be absorbed in the church. Be absorbed in his word. Use the gifts that God has given you. And when you do that, the impact from that is everlasting. Paul's saying, when we become an example in the way we walk and talk, we're going to point people closer to Jesus. That's what it's talking about in verse 16. That when we do that, it's going to lead and, and, and make an everlasting impact. 
and because the church is, is his idea, and because what the church is in the business of is impacting lives for eternity, all of a sudden the church becomes the most important organization on the planet because it's dealing with eternity. And you are called to get involved in that, in that mission that God's giving us. I'm not actually a huge hockey fan, uh, but I know some, maybe some of you guys are. Uh, my father-in-law is a huge Detroit Red Wings fan, um, but maybe you know the name Stan Mikita. Stan Mikita, he played hockey back in the 60s for the Chicago Blackhawks. And actually, when I was looking him up this last week on Google, um, I believe it was on Tuesday, I was looking the story up, um, and then I uh, coming across, and it was like 15 minutes before they just posted that Stan Mikita just passed away. I, I guess that was kind of ironic. But in Stan Mikita's earlier on in his career, um, he was known for being one of the most penalized players in the league. One moment in his life, one moment in his career, he, one moment changed the entire way he played. And it, was, it happened when he was on a road trip on some games, and his family's sitting at home, and they're watching him play. And at this point, he had an eight-year-old daughter watching the game. Probably just, they, they, I could only imagine what maybe they're, sitting at home and they're all got popcorn or something and they're just watching the game, sitting, getting excited. This eight-year-old daughter, as she's watching her dad play, Stan Makita gets penalized again and he's heading to the penalty box. And as he, they, the camera guy is showing Stan sitting down in the penalty box, his little eight-year-old daughter turns to her mom and asks this question. It says, mommy, why does daddy spend so much time sitting down? As he got home, and, uh, and his wife runs to him and, and is telling him what her daughter said. And uh, Stan, he, uh, he, this one moment, and that one sentence, that is, one question his daughter asked changed the entire way he played. He actually, uh, I didn't know if I said this, but he actually is still, even to this day, the leading scorer of the Chicago Blackhawks. But Stan, he's changed his game, changed the entire way he played. He went on to win this award called the Lady Being Memorial Trophy. It's an award for most sportsmanlike conduct and excellence. And he went on to win that not once, but twice. He was known for being one of the most penalized players in the league. And then it went to be known that he cleaned up his act. And I can only imagine the reason he did that is because of the fact of this question, which it's known that this was the reason that he changed the entire way he played. But I can only wonder, is it because maybe it was a, he was realizing it's a poor example to his young daughter? And it always looks like dad's in trouble, always in the penalty box, always getting in trouble again. There's dad getting in trouble again. Or is it maybe he's realizing, I'm a hockey player. I'm supposed to be in the game. I'm supposed to be in the game and scoring goals. I'm supposed to be in the game helping my team win more games. See, his change though, it became noticed. Everybody knew it. In our relationship with Christ, people should see the change in our life from our old self to our our new, our, our new born again self. 
They should see it. It should reflect in the way we live our life. We should be an example to those that they would see us and they'd be wondering the question is what do they have that I'm missing out on? But then it's the other, also the other idea of we need to be in the game. We need to be involved in the game. So often I, I, we maybe come to church and we watch the church and watch people even around the church serve and they're making an impact in the world as we sit back and watch the game happening around us. And we're not fully in, but we're called to be a part of it, using our gifts that get God has given us to glorify him, to win more people to him. This whole series has been about the the big picture of what the church should be like. This morning, though, it's it's asking the simple question is, are we in the game or not? Are we sidelined? It's time, if we are, it's time to get in the game. Jesus has given us all a job to go and tell the world what he has done for us. It's time to be in the game. It's time to be the light of the world in the way we walk, in the way we talk, that we take church and we make it a priority and we get involved helping the church impact the world. And we're blessed here at Grace. We're blessed with so many people who are involved and they're helping impact our church in so many ways. You look around, God has blessed this place. But I only can imagine what would happen if we all got involved. We all took the mission of God serious to win the loss to him. I can only imagine if we all got involved, our church would never look the same. I don't think our town, Fremont, I don't think our community would ever look the same. And we're all called to get in the game. And this morning, it just comes down to that simple question. If you're in the game, thank you. You're doing more than you can ever imagine for the kingdom by you serving here at Grace, helping impact the world. But if you're not, it's time to get in the game. It's time to use the gifts that God has given you to serve him and glorify him. If you stood, stand with me and let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you so much that we get to come to grace and we get to come and we get to open up your word and learn more about you. Lord, I pray that we would all take it as a challenge to be an example in the way we talk and walk. Lord, help us to glorify you by our example and the way we are living our life. Lord, help us to make church a priority in our life and help us to then get involved to help the church, help to make an impact on the world that we live in. Lord, we love you, we thank you for today, and we, we ask that you bless the rest of our afternoon. Lord, we pray this in your name, amen.